Welcome to another episode of the albumreview.net podcast. I'm Greg Potters. This is episode number 61, and today I'm pleased to welcome bass player, songwriter, and vocalist Holly West. Holly plays bass for the California-based Led Zeppelin power tribute project, Zepparella. She is also the bass player and lead singer for the California-based hard rock band, Dead Groove. In this episode, Holly and I talk about life on the road as a traveling musician. We also get her take on the music industry and what it's like being a musician working in Los Angeles. We are also lucky to have Holly give us a detailed breakdown on the writing and recording of Holly's other band, Dead Groove Band, and their self-titled debut album, which was released in March of 2023. So don't sit back. Sit forward, because you're going to want to listen closely to this interview with songwriter and bass player, and she also uses my favorite bass, by the way, the Fender Jazz, Holly West. Let's do it. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. How is how's the Labor Day weekend going? Uh, good. We went to the Rainbow birthday party yesterday. So oh, nice. Slaughter. The band Slaughter. Nice. <laughs> they they were the headliners. So is that Angel? Angel. Yeah, yeah. I used to be a big fan of Angel and Slaughter back yeah. back in the day. Nice. How was that? It was that kind of show. Back in the day, kind of show. <laughs> nice. <laughs> But awesome. Yeah. Good. How's your how's your summer been? Summer's been good. Yeah. I appreciate you jumping back on and yeah, I wanted to go through just sorry with you wanted to talk about both bands a little bit. Focus mostly on Dead Groove. I've been jamming out for the last several weeks now. You and I talked several weeks ago. Obviously, you're currently busy with two bands, Zepparella, West Coast-based Zeppelin Power Tribute Project. As mm-hmm. I like to call it. And then Dead Groove. Do you guys mostly go by Dead Groove? I know the website is like Dead Groove Band, or <laughs> do, you, do you typically, like when you advertise yourself, do you uh, advertise yourselves as Dead Groove? Yeah, either one. We decided to do Dead Groove Band because we had a clothing company called Dead Groove Clothing. Oh, okay, cool. So we just did that to differentiate the between the two. They still both have different logos and everything. But okay. Both called Dead Groove. So yeah, cool. Yeah, I love it. I love the album. And are you guys? Maybe it's a little too early to ask, but are you guys working on new music or recording new stuff? We're thinking. Yeah, we're in the midst of thinking about it. Obviously, got uh, it. <laughs> we're always thinking about new music. We have a couple of arrangements that didn't make it to this record. Nothing was like done. It was just arrangements. And then I have some other songs that I might want to pull up and, and kind of block them out a little bit. But yeah, we're definitely looking at, into, we, we were actually thinking yesterday, we were driving home and listening to the record and we're like, okay, these sound these songs sound old now to us <laughs> right. we listen to all the time, right? So we're at this point now where we're like, okay, yeah, it's time for new songs. The, the album seems too short. <laughs> I know what you mean. I know what you mean for sure. Yeah. You listen to it so many times. The best place too is in your car, right? I feel like whenever I would finish recording something, I'd take a drive and listen to it in my car. Always was, 
the best place I could think and hear some of the things I wanted to change. And let's, if it's all right with you, let's just quickly start with Zepparella. So how long have you been their bass player? Since 2018. Oh, okay. All right. So yeah, good, a good five years. What drew you to being part of a, like a Led Zeppelin tribute project? I've always loved Zeppelin. In fact, it's one of, been one of my favorite bands since I was a kid. Nice. Uh, when I was 18, my car got broken into and they stole my stereo and my entire collection of CDs. It was like 300 CDs. Oh, man. And so I was thinking, like, what band can I listen to and not get tired of? And so I went to the, the pawn shop and got a new stereo, one that I could actually disconnect and just put under my car because right. things happen again. And I was looking around, I'm like, what, what band can I buy their whole catalog? And I'll just love their music and I won't, listen, I won't get tired of it. And they had every Zeppelin CD. So I bought every Zeppelin CD. And then that actually opened me up to all the deep cuts. Sure, sure. that I'd never heard of before. That's, I think, the start of my absolute love for Zeppelin. I mean, I've always loved it or liked it, but when I actually went through their whole catalog and that's all I listened to, then that's when I really loved it. But in 2017, I released a record called Mokita. Okay. And I had Gary Hoey and Brady Blade playing on that one. So nice. That, yeah, I just hired people that I knew would do the album justice. And then, That's a good uh, pick. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I covered When the Levee Breaks. Nice, nice. And so that was also just a, hey, this is the kind of music I'm into. People could you know, identify with that. And then my a mutual friend of, of mine and Gretchen, Tracy Guns, he heard the record. Actually, I sent it to him because he's a big Zeppelin fan. So look what I did because we're buddies or whatever. And he really liked it. And so when Gretchen was, when Zeppirillo was looking for a new bass player, it was very hush. It's not like they right. blasted it out there. Right. But they asked a few people that they knew and Tracy was one of those people. And he gave me a very big recommendation. And, and I think it was probably based off of that song. Very cool. Just because he knew that I was really into it. So they give me a call and I had an audition like a week later and, and got the gig. <laughs> so. It's nice to hear Tracy still pretty deeply connected in the L.A music scene he he has been now for probably for almost 40 years if not yeah um, yeah yeah he's so. he's always around <laughs> yeah he's always around. <laughs> now i used to have i had a similar issue i had a stereo get stolen way back and i ended up getting one of those it was either a pioneer or a blau punk where you could literally pull it out of the console and like a kind of like a mini suitcase that had a yeah, hand yeah they have was, a little handle did you have it. is that one of the ones you had yeah, it wasn't supposed to come out, but they oh, okay. But cool. the connection on the back is really easy. It's just like right. one connection. So I would just, I just got one that could fit in there. I would put, connect it, put it in there. It would work. And then when I got to wherever I was going, I would unconnect it or disconnect it and put it under my seat. Nice. <laughs> I like, I don't, I'm not going through this again. Yeah. Yeah. People used to always look at me strange because I walk around with this thing and what is that? And I was like, yeah, it's my stereo. I can't have this happen again. You know? I remember so, when those came out. I was like, yeah. you can't get my stereo away from me. I was like the most important thing is car stereos. Now I, I drive around Boston and I can't find anybody who installs them. All right. There's, yeah. they're few and far between. There's a few, but they're few and far between and yeah. Anyway, that's so funny. That's so funny. You had one of those too. As you obviously know, I've I I think we originally connected you and I through through Clem, your drummer with Separella. Clem and I have now done a couple episodes. One that was okay. a kind of an interview like this, 
talking about her and talking about the band and her business and stuff. But then also uh, we did an album review. And so what's it like? I'm just curious. What's it been like working with, with Clem? She's obviously, besides you, she's the only one in your band that I've met so far. Clem is awesome. She's been touring for a really long time. She's, she was in a all female, what do you call it? Like stoner rock band mm-hmm. that they just got in a van and toured. And that's right before she started Zepparella. And I, I know Gretchen has mentioned a few times, like when Clem asked her to be part of this Zeppelin band, cause they were in um, a, a ACDC band together. But when she, when Clem came off tour and Gretchen started playing in, I think one of her first bands with Clem, it was like, she just really looked up to her. Here's this woman that just got off tour of the whole country. And it is like that with her. She's a force. And not only that, but you know, she's a, a shaman, shamanistic practitioner and, right. and a healer and things like that. So there's a lot of facets with her and it's like her book, which I did y'all do a, a review yes. on her book. Yes. Kind of, yeah. I've got it. You're looking for it. I've got it. I've got it here too. Yeah. yeah I got it right Bottom here. to boot and it's, back. It's amazing. Yeah. Like it's a hard rock drummer and this juxtaposition of being an enlightened being and they don't really go hand in hand right i know some hard rock drummers they're not very enlightened <laughs> <laughs> not all of them but some of them <laughs> yeah most of my conversations with Clem, they ended up turning into therapy sessions and then i'm yes. like asking her hey how should i handle this situation or how should i handle that so very zen and but just uh yeah great person so i'm yeah, sure and, and- one thing I do like about her is when you talk to her about your issues or problems or any anything, she's a listener first. So it, it really opens up a whole new level of talking to somebody when you know that they're a listener first and not just a talker. And there's it, there, it, it's clear that there's no judgment either from her. Yeah, it's just, no it's abundantly clear. The most non-judgmental person. Yeah, yeah. And you guys, are you done with the road for now? I know you've been doing a bunch of shows. I've been following along on your website. Do you have a couple more shows left this fall? Or are you done for the time being? No, we're a band that tours all year round. Yeah, nice. So there might be a couple of months during the year that we don't have as many shows, maybe one show. But for the most part, we have three to five shows a month. Maybe yeah. Six. Our goal is to have six shows a month. Okay, that's a lot. That's good yeah. though. It is a lot. It's and if you put them all together through a year, that's a, if you would go consecutively, it would be a really long tour. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we tour just as much as any huge band out there. Sure um, do. And I like it that I can have a lot of other things to do. And then okay, I'm going on, on tour with Zapparello this weekend, so I'll be gone for a few days and go make some money, go have some fun, come home, and then focus on whatever else I want to focus on. Yeah. How do you stay, how do you stay mentally fit or physically fit on tour? Do you get bogged down with exhaustion or uh, how does that, like, how do you keep your head about you when you're touring? Yeah, that's a good question. I, there's a lot of facets that go into touring, right? So a lot of it is, yeah, you're, you're traveling. So you're waking up early, you're getting, if for me, I'm getting on a plane, I live in a different city than they do. So right. every time I travel, I have to travel by plane. Right. And so I'm waking up early, I'm getting to the airport. I, if, I, I do like to try and sleep as much as I can. So I try to sleep on the plane. 
I don't drink a lot. In fact, most of the girls in Zapparoli don't drink a lot. So that's a Good huge, yeah. huge part of it. We don't, if you're drinking on tour, it's harder. It gets harder and harder to wait. Catches up with you. Yeah. Yeah. And the good thing is that you're not really doing a whole lot. Like you're just going to play, you're going to do your sound check. You're going to play your show. Right. But those things are so important through totally. the day. And then yeah. later in the day that you just have to make sure that you're mentally prepared for them. Yeah. Caffeine, hydration. A lot of caffeine, um, a lot of food. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm a caffeine person. I like caffeine. Me <laughs> <So>. too. <laughs> when I'm sleepy, I'm not a good time. So. <laughs> <laughs> Neither am I. I'm with you on that one for sure. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. And so, so do, you, do you pay attention to your diet as well? Like, I, I'm only asking this because 20 years ago, 15 years ago, I know for me, and I haven't toured to the level that you have, but I didn't care what I put in my body and seemingly nothing mattered. I put anything in there yeah. and I could still go. And now it's, if I have two back-to-back -back meals that aren't super healthy, then I'm paying for it. Like the next two days, <laughs> just exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. That's another thing. I'm vegan. I've been vegan. For oh, nice. Good for you. I've been pretty much vegetarian my whole life. I know it doesn't work with my body and I have yeah. food out, some food allergies. So I make sure not to have those. <laughs> yeah. So it's probably just ingrained in your lifestyle now, right? So it's not really too much of a hard decision. Mm. You just know and what you can do. Yeah. And if you're dealing with something that's difficult, like with your, if you've eaten something that doesn't agree with you, you don't have access to bathrooms as right. much as you would hope you're tra traveling. So it's really hard. You definitely have to have that, that, that balance in there. You know, Anna, our singer, she has a lot of food allergies as well. A lot of things cause swelling, which messes with yeah, her voice. Totally. So there's, you, I think you just have to be really aware of that kind of stuff. I know when Fred goes on tour and he's doing some back-to-back two-hour shows, he needs a lot of water. A lot That's of your drummer, right? For Dead yeah, Groove? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, a lot of electrolytes, a lot of things that, like, because he's sweating. You just have to, you have to just be prepared. You really have to be prepared. And there are some times where um, I also have some, like a little bit of a nervous issue. So sometimes I can't eat. It's not that I'm nervous. I'm just anticipating the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get the butterflies, so, which is pretty normal, I think. Yeah, and so yeah. I have to be very careful not to just say, okay, I can't eat right now. And I'm a picker. I'll, I'll eat a little bit and then I'll put it away and then I'll eat a little bit later, like a grazer. Like, right. That's what they call me in the in Zephyrella. <laughs> raising <laughs> like a cow like right, a little bit right. there <laughs> so i i do have to be careful like to make sure i get enough food and energy and water and, and yeah good for you you play two hour shows yeah no it's nobody can right it, it, it's good to hear that that there's a lot of the stigma behind touring, I think a lot of that is smoke and mirrors. The reality is that you have to keep yourself in shape mentally and physically. And like you said, you got to get good sleep and hydration and drink as little as possible because it can catch up to you. If you think about like, when we think about touring, anybody thinks about touring, you kind of think about that, that 80s rock and roll touring, right? right. It was sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? And that is so far fetched from what goes on nowadays. I'm sure. sure there's some bands that do that, 
But also those guys were like kids back then. They were 20 something years old. Exactly. Like a Motley Crue show now and they all have wives. They're kids. They drink. So it's very, it's changed a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah. I saw it Counting Crows several years back and I ended up getting backstage. A friend of mine knew Adam Duritz. And I remember going backstage and there was a picnic table full of water. I was actually pleased because I didn't know what to expect. I thought it was going to be interesting, but I ended up just sitting down on a couch and chatting with Adam for a little while. But when we left, I was really excited that I had that experience, but I was also joking with my friend. I was like, that was nothing like I envisioned it. I was expecting girls everywhere and they're going to be like, why are you here? Like, why are you like, there's a guy back here, but, but they were really cool and very welcoming. And, but yeah, just like you said, it was not like that old, it might've been back when they started in the early nineties, but um, not anymore. So uh, moving on to, to dead groove, dead groove band. So bring us up to speed on the, the creation of dead groove. You guys were a trio, right? Mm -hmm. And, and you sing most of the lead vocals. Yes. And but you guys have fantastic vocal harmonies as well, which I really think it's not easy. So it's you and you mentioned Fred, your drummer. And Fred's last name is pronounced, is it Aching? A Ching. Okay. Fred A Ching. And then Caesar on guitar. Oh yeah. So both of them are from Peru. Fred's back here. He's obviously here. <laughs> hey Fred. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so Fred and, and Caesar from Peru, they had a band in Peru called Mauser, which was a, a hard rock band there. Um, very Alice in Chains. Um, uh, I like it. Very, very cool band. And so they worked together for a long time. And then Fred moved here in 2016 and started working with um, bands like Power Flow. And now he's playing with Bullet Boys and Kings of Thrash and stuff. So he's made his way here as a hard rock metal drummer. And Caesar is still in Peru, but Caesar actually works for The Voice Peru and like big TV shows like that, where he's actually a vocal coach. So talking about our harmonies, that's a lot of that is Caesar. He's very good at creating these harmonies and, and things that go together with my melodies that are just like, they really help make that power trio kind of uh, vibe. It adds a whole new level to the music, I think. The rock and roll itself stripped down. I think if you guys even did an acoustic show, it would sound excellent. But the, mm -hmm. the harmonies just it bring it to that next level, which I really have enjoyed listening to. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Fred started singing as well with the, this project. He's got a great tone and he's been a musician for a long time. So he has pitch as well. So he's really come into his own with this project with singing too. It, and it is hard to play an instrument and sing at the same time. There's a lot of people sure. that just don't even do it because it's like a threshold you got to get over. Right. Bass is definitely difficult to play and sing at the same time. I had to work a long time to get that down. But but yeah, it's power trio. We want to stay true to that power trio. So we've got heavy hitters on all instruments that can also sing. But we started this band over the internet because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Bored and ready to to do something, right? Fred and I were were working on some just riffs and stuff. We had this little a couple episodes on YouTube, the Holly and Fred show, where we were just playing drum and bass. Oh, nice! And it was fun. And then he talked to Caesar one day and Caesar was ready to give up because he didn't know what to do. And he said he would really wanted to do another hard rock kind of thing. And Fred sent him my uh, music I did on uh, my record, Mokita. It was like, Holly can sing, she plays bass and we could do like a power trio thing. And 
I ended up sending him uh, an acoustic song that I wrote. It was my first song I wrote when I moved to California called Maverick. Okay. And it was just acoustic blues song. And so I was like, all right, see what you can do with this, make it rock and roll. And so we, we did this kind of whole stoner rock vibe to it. Um, is that the same cool. Maverick? Sorry to cut you off, Holly. Is that the same Maverick that's on your album now? Yeah. Yeah. yeah cool. So that was just a stripped down blues song, like stripped down acoustic blues song. And then we did this whole like jam in the middle, like a true stoner rock band would do. It turned out to be pretty cool. So we ended up doing also uh, Fred and Caesar worked on the, the Book of the Dead, mm-hmm. that arrangement going. And then I wrote the lyrics and melodies to it. And so we just demoed it. And then Fred's family lives in Peru still. So we went back for the holidays. <clears throat> excuse me to 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 spend time with them and also to we went to Machu Picchu and did a little bit of exploring and then we recorded Book of the Dead and Maverick so we came home with the recordings got them mastered mixed and mastered and then decided to put them out as Dead Groove Band and we got some really good feedback from it and we did a couple of videos. The music videos are shot in two different countries. Okay. We try to make it where it doesn't look that way, but they are. Okay. So nice. we shot the videos and yeah, it just took off from there. And Wait. go ahead. No, go ahead, please. <laughs> so yeah, the videos, they gained a lot of attention. We got hundreds, I mean, like tens of thousands of views on the videos. And we just felt like it was going in the right direction. So we ended up going back and recording a whole record that, that's a year later, basically. And so those two songs are, are on this record. And then we released it March 30th of this year. Yeah, and I want to get into more of the album and go through some of the songs. And when you're, when you're touring or when you're not touring with both bands, your primary home is in L.A., right? Yeah, we live yeah. in Long Beach. Nice, nice. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Dallas. Nice. Okay. And so growing up, was music considered an, an outlet to you? Meaning, did you immerse yourself in music growing up to escape? Yeah, definitely. I had a really mean brother. <laughs> and I definitely didn't want to be around him as much as I could handle. So I'd be in my room listening to music, trying to play piano or guitar or whatever. Yeah. I wasn't any good. I didn't understand it, but I would. I was definitely trying to sing, and I've been writing since I was nine. Nice. That was definitely my outlet. My my father's family are the ones that are musicians. Okay. And my grandfather could could play by ear. Nice. And every single one of his kids was musically inclined. Their family reunions were they just sit around singing old country songs. My I remember when I was really young, my great aunt and my great uncle were both touring artists. My great uncle was, they're both country artists, of course, because we lived in Oklahoma. Okay. (laughs) That's just how they were. But my uncle, he played guitar and sang and he had a, a record out. And I remember looking at his tape when I was younger and I remember going, I could do this. If this is my family, I could do this. And so he was actually my biggest inspiration to to play. And then later on, I found out that my aunt, who was my favorite aunt, and I've just always loved her personality and everything. I always wanted to be like her. She was a bass player singer in uh, a band with nice. her husband and her son. 
So this makes sense now. So this is all, you've had this in your blood for forever. And it's been, I was going to ask what was your childhood like, but this is a great, this gives me a great vision of just music all the time. And I'm sure the holidays as well were filled with just like singing. And is that true? No, not really, because it was, so it's my grand, it's my dad's mom's family. So it wasn't our immediate family that we spent time with at Christmas and stuff. We would okay. go to their house for a day or, or a reunion or something, but it wasn't, it wasn't all the time. But when I did grow up, I, I had my uncle, he played violin and, and my grandmother had an organ and we had the equipment around and stuff and I had the inspiration, but it wasn't like somebody sat me down and said, okay, here's an A chord, here's a G chord, let's play this song. Um, I wish that happened, but it just didn't, you know, I, in fact, <laughs> Um, and if you talk to Clem, you probably know she started her music career at 27. Right. Yeah. So did I. I was in my first band and even started really realizing how to play music very later on, even though. Really? My, okay. My whole life I'd wanted to. I just was a complete failure at it. Uh, so you said you wrote your first song at nine, right? But you didn't my really. My first poem at nine. Your first poem. Okay. And so I wasn't a huge fan of school growing up and my some of my memories of school which when I told my wife this when we first met she was like what mm-hmm. I used to I just remember being in class and having a notebook like a trapper keeper or any kind of three ring binder and writing like Led Zeppelin in block letters or the who or Metallica on my notebooks instead of paying attention poems. I was writing poems instead of paying attention Nice, nice. So I, I would just write and write. I so I still have a lot of my writings, and it's just like a oh, big good. box of paper, just stuff that I've just written down. Yeah, and in fact, what I started writing, and I never told anybody because I had a brother that was mean, so I didn't want to tell him. No, I didn't want right. to tell my parents because they would tell him, and he would probably come rip them off. He probably right, right. And so I told my grandma, who was also who was my mom's mother who was also a writer, she writes poem or poetry and short stories. So on both sides, I have music and writing. And she read my first poems and she said they were, she encouraged me to keep writing. And so yeah. um, in fact, when she, in her house, she has a whole room dedicated to writing. It's just. It's just oh, that's beautiful. Oh man. Is she still around? Hopefully is she She's still with still us? Yeah. That's my, great. I only have one grandparent still around. She's still around. So you had that outlet. You had the support. These were going to be some of my follow-up questions, like what was growing up like in in terms of music? I know for me, it was seen as, oh, that's a, a cute little hobby that Greg has on the side, but when are you going to get a real job? And that pushed me even more to want to be a professional musician. So I used it as an outlet to vent my frustrations Mm-hmm. a lot of the times and I would escape a lot. And I think you already answered indirectly a little bit, like when you wanted to, when you felt like you really wanted to become a musician. So you were in your, you said you were in your twenties or late twenties. I wanted to become a musician since I was about six. Okay. <laughs> I just didn't get it. I, yeah. I didn't have anybody to really explain it to me. I did start taking guitar lessons at 13 and I had a great guitar teacher, but I think that because since now that I'm a teacher and I teach guitar and bass and band direct and stuff, now I understand what I should have been learning when I first started. And it wasn't what he was teaching me. Okay. 
think a lot of teachers go in saying, okay, it's going to be fun for them if they know a song, They'll automatically teach you a song, but your ears aren't developed enough to know if you're starting in the right place or the wrong place, or some people can get it. Some people just can't. It'll just right. Yeah. That's a good point. And they'll look at it and they'll say, wait, where do I start? Or this dot or this line or so I, now when I break down teaching, the notes are the most important thing. That's what I teach first. And I wish I would have known that a long time ago because it would have, I would have been able to probably play 50 instruments by now. Right. <laughs> right. But now that I get it, I, I can play quite a few instruments, but I do know what I was lacking back then. And it was just this kind of clear picture of what I needed at the time. And so I would put it down and then I would pick it up and I would put it down and I'd pick it up and I just could never dive into it the proper way until I was 27 and a friend of mine was like, do you want to be in a band? And I'm like, sure. And then I made myself learn those 10 songs and, and just engulf myself. And, and just sit there and grind days. until you knew it. Three to six hours a day. Yeah. I, was yeah. Nice. I would wake up and play before I went to work. I'd go to work. I come home and I would start playing until I fell asleep. <laughs> now you started on guitar. What drew you to the bass? The bass was what I picked up for the band. Okay. That I was in, the first band that I was in. Yeah. Okay. You like needed a bass player and you were like, yeah, I, I can do that. It looks fun. Yeah. Very coincidentally, the only times, literally the only times that I ever picked up a bass, my friend was there. And it, this was in two different uh, settings at two different houses too. Somebody said, oh, Holly, you can play guitar, which I didn't play guitar. Like, you want to play guitar. Here, pick up this bass and play with us. And I was playing the bass and my friend Billy was there. And then like months later, I was playing the bass at another house and Billy was there. And then when he came in, I was a hairdresser for 20 years. He came in to get his hair done. And he was like, do you want to play bass in my band? I'll teach you how to play bass. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so it is happened i started when i was 12 and i had similar somewhat similar i was started playing actually the ukulele i went and visited my grandmother in california and she was like what do you want to do this week i, said, I don't know and she said why don't we get you some ukulele lessons and I, you know, I was like okay sure so did that came home and wanted to be in a band got offered but they were already like three guitar players so i was like i'll play bass and i can remember going to a store across the street from Berkeley College of Music here and um, buying my first bass. And I just remember I was drawn to the sound, like the thumping, the vibration, the rhythm. It, it just attracted me at that point then more than the guitar. Plus all my friends were already playing guitar and every band I knew in high school was always looking for a bass player. I'm always drawn to bass players as well. And I think you mentioned to me when we first spoke some of your influences, these probably aren't all of them, but John Paul Jones, John Entwistle, and Doug Pinnock. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. yeah, you can actually hear a lot of King's X influence on our record for Dead Groove. I agree. Yeah, yeah. for sure. There's something about that band. That was Dime's favorite band. Being from Dallas, like everything revolves around Dime and the music yeah. industry when I was younger. And so coincidentally, the guy who asked me to be in the band, and this was before the band started, this was when I, this was when I was working on cruise ships. I was like 20 years old. I'd come back into Dallas to visit before I went back on another stint of this cruise ships. Mm -hmm. And I went over to my friend's house who started this new band with my friend, Billy and Nikki McKibben from American Idol. I don't know if you know who that is, but familiar. Yeah. 
Yeah. She she recently passed uh, a couple years ago, but she was on the first American Idol. She won second place. She was the rocker chick. And she ended up not getting a, a record deal because they wanted her to do country or something. And she was like, so rocker. She's like, fuck you, I'm not doing that yet. So anyway, she started this band with Billy and I went back. I went back to Dallas and we were hanging out and we went to a King's X show. It was my first King's X show and I'd heard about them and I really wanted to see them, but we went to this King's X and I fell in love with King's X. I'm standing there with my future band that I didn't yeah. even know about. I was at their house, they were showing me a demo of a song that in the future I was going to be playing. It was just the weirdest thing. It was like this, this night had to happen for some reason. Yeah. And later on when they were looking for a bass player and they told Nikki about me, like, oh yeah, I love Holly. So like, they didn't know I, she's, oh, I didn't know she played music. Like, I don't play music, but (laughs) 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 you mentioned your, your relationship a little bit with your brother. Did he have any influence over your music at all? Or were you pretty, pretty separate? Very different. Very Very different. different. Yeah. Yeah. When we were younger, he was really into rap. Okay. I didn't like rap at all. Now I, I enjoy old school hip hop, but sure. Nineties, nineties hip hop. Yeah. Yeah. And then for a long time he was in a country and there was a very small amount of time. I was really into country. It was when achy breaky heart was really big. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> country was huge. Back then. It like, was gigantic. Was yeah. Yeah. And so I did like country for a little while, but after I just like, I can't do this anymore. Cause I felt like the songs were all the same. Yeah. I got, into, um, I got into metal, but I didn't know what kind of metal. I just knew I liked hard stuff. Right. And then right after that, I ended up getting into like more grunge and of course an alternative and then like goth music, like Manson. Nice. And that kind of stuff. Yeah, I can hear a lot of different influences in Dead Groove for sure. Now, you mentioned you released your self-titled album in March of this year. How's the reception been going with that, with the album so far? Yeah. Great. Yeah. We just started, or we just ended our pre-sales for the vinyl and we've sold quite a few vinyls so far. It's, and we've been, we started touring the record. It's been very well received. Every single show we have, we end up making a diehard fan, at least one. And we were at the cutting room a couple of weeks ago and the owners know me from Zepparella. Mm-hmm. And so they, they were saying that they want us to come back. And coincidentally, I ran into Brit Lightning from Vixen yesterday. Uh-huh. The and they had, the cutting room had said that they want us to come back with Vixen. So I told her about it. We sent Steve a, a picture. So maybe we'll have a Dead Groove Vixen tour coming up <laughs> nice yeah and i love I've been, those girls so i've been living on the edge with a broken heart did i get yeah. that right yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice yeah. that's awesome well, Julie, it's good to hear they're still around too it's great to hear yeah yeah and uh roxy's the only original member um but uh julie jay is the new bass player and i absolutely adore her she's richie richie codson's wife and okay sure she, she's an amazing bass player and performer and just all around person and so between her and Britt, i love that band so much because those girls are just like they're just so cool so, <laughs> i love them so much <laughs> Tell me again about the origin of Dead Groove. Like, how did you guys come up with the, the, the band name again? The name? So the name started with our clothing company. And it starts out like any right. band name, like any name for any company or whatever. You're just throwing names around. Right, right. And we wanted it to be obviously musical. 
Uh, we wanted it to be a little dark because we're doing rock and roll. You know, mm -hmm. and the, the clothing company is based off of rock and roll. If you look at our clothing company, we have stuff like Bob Marley and got his picture right here and I can't even think of his name. <laughs> we got a lot of rock and roll, like reggae and stuff, but like a lot of different like rock and roll outlets on our website, on our, on our, in our designs. The logo itself has female and male skull. So love it. Love it. It's all, yeah. it's all very rock and roll. So we, we came up with the name dead groove because of like dead grooves on a record. So if you play a record too much, you get dead grooves on it. So when we started the band, we're like, what are we going to name the band? We're going to name it dead groove and have a clothing company and a band and maybe eventually have a record company, who knows, record label or whatnot. And we could have a lot of things under this umbrella, but we also pushed around the name Maverick since mm -hmm. it was our first song. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually always, I was going to call my band instead of Holly West, I was going to call it Maverick. But my engineer was like, look, this is your kind of coming out project. This is your, I'm an artist. I can write and sing and play bass and stuff. So I was like, okay, yeah, I have to call it Holly West. So, <laughs> but we kicked around the idea of calling it Maverick or calling it Dead Groove and Dead Groove ended up winning. But we have the clothing company and the band, so it's our brand now. I want to talk about the album a little bit now. So 10 songs on, this is your debut album, all rocking for sure. We were talking about the harmonization earlier. There's three of you, which I have the utmost respect for. I know some artists, Holly, don't necessarily like being boxed into a category or a genre, but for the listeners, I'd like to paint a little bit of a picture of what they can expect. Please, I think I you've maybe already that. done that a little bit though. What's I actually love that actually because- yeah. I don't know. Like, this is just us, right? So yeah. you tell me what you think. I came up with like hard rock with a blues influence. I've done, it's funny. I, I when I first started this podcast and all of my album reviews and, and, and interviewing artists, I started to gravitate towards a lot of musicians that could harmonize well. And I became drawn to, and I, I had been for years, but like really wanted to dive into like bands like Crosby, Stills and Nash, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, also the Beach Boys. And I just, I gained a further appreciation because like I was saying earlier, I think that harmonizing, if you do it the right way, can really bring the music to a, a different level. But I, I have hard rock with the blues influence. Personally, for me, you know, I, the first music I ever got into was hard rock and then went into metal a little bit. And it wasn't until the 90s when grunge came around that I got into that. And then, in all honesty, I also started to get a little bit softer and in getting into some country and some some jam bands and things like that. But hard rock was really always the core. But I, I can trace, I feel like I can trace some, we can trace some blues influences in your music, which to Absolutely. me is really where you know, my preferences are. And I think a lot of people would agree. So that was what I came up with. Um, hard rock with a blues influence. Um, I, somebody told me the other day, it's like pretty reckless with Black Sabbath. Yeah. Yeah. Similar, I think, because she's very pretty reckless. They're very bluesy. Yeah. As well. Put um, them in a blender. We have their own vibe and we have our own vibe, but we're very influenced by old 70s rock and roll like deep purple and uh black sabbath i i really like like newer bands that i like are rival sons oh, um, i'm not familiar with them oh nice. wow yeah you gotta check out rival sons rival um, sons okay i i first heard about them through a friend of mine so i started listening to their music and i just fell in love with with everything they do it and in fact i know 
it's it's funny because you live in LA and you meet all these people, right? That oh, I used to be in that band or whatever. But I've, I we have a friend who used to be their first their original bass player, and he when he left, he felt like they were like a Zeppelin wannabe band, uh-huh. and so they definitely have that vibe, that Zeppelin vibe. There's four of them. The singer is one of the best singers, I think, out there. His name is Jay Buchanan. He just has soul. He just, you could tell whatever he sings, he puts everything into. They have great harmonies. They have great riffs, just great vibe all around. And I saw them open for, I think it was Ozzy once and just great performers. So yeah, check that band out. Yeah, I definitely will. Thanks for the recommendation for sure. It sounds right up my alley. Yeah, I wouldn't, I would agree with you, Holly. I'm glad we're saying that I wouldn't put you guys in the 80s hard rock category necessarily because you've got a newer kind of juicier sound to you. And that freaking raw bass that you have, I love your, I'm assuming you still play a Fender and it looked like you were playing, you mostly play a Precision. Jazz. You play the jazz. Okay, cool, cool. It's really funny. I've always played jazz and I have never really picked up very many precisions in my life, but one kind of fell in my hands the other day and I hated it. Really? (laughs) Okay. I could not get the right tone. They're just so different. Yeah, that's interesting. I I think you're right. The jazz is a lot smoother. My, My first was a sort of a generic Fender P and and then when I turned 40 a few years back, my wife surprised me with a jazz. And to this day, people will walk into my studio and I'm like, don't even look at it. Don't even look, look in it. that direction. <laughs> so I know what you mean. But not only the rawness of the bass, but the drums and the guitar. And that's why it doesn't sound, I hope you take this the right way. It doesn't sound overproduced, right? I feel like if I saw you guys live, it would sound pretty close to the same. Um, that, that was definitely part of my vision with this band is I do not want an overproduced band. Right. If right. we can't replicate at least 90% of what we sound like on stage, then I don't want it. Uh, <laughs> I do not want to be that band where people listen to us live and they're like, eh, you're okay. Yeah. They yeah. Know. Yeah. Um, Sometimes it's got to grab you. There's something of course about being raw and being rock and roll. But there's then that threshold of overproduction, and right. uh, we're not playing with toys. We're playing with real instruments. Right. That's a good point. Real harmonies. The backing tracks that we're using right now on stage are just vocal backing tracks because we're currently not touring with Caesar, mm-hmm. and so we're touring with Jeff Young right now. And he can sing and, and do stuff, but him learning all the guitar parts and the singing and stuff, it's a little overwhelming. So Fred and I use like a very, just for the harmonies, we use some backing tracks and then that's it. And the, the song off the album that grabbed me first, when I first put it on after we met was Satellite King.
so tell me a little bit, if you don't mind, about coming up with that. Did you, Caesar and Fred, collaborate all together with this song? Yeah, so most of the music was Caesar and Fred, because Caesar doesn't speak English and I don't speak Spanish. Hmm. We probably speak the same amount of each language, but very cool. It's hard to communicate, especially when you're trying to go go over things. So right. I found it easier to let Fred and Caesar kind of work on the music and really establish some good vibe in there. And then I would come in with mainly the, the lyrics and melodies on top of it. And then we would work together on like how to make the bass feel the best with the music and stuff. And it's just part of working with people and collaborating. You don't want to step on anybody's toes. You don't want to not listen to somebody if they have a good idea. You don't want to just throw their idea out of the windows just because you have an idea. So it's more about coming up with the concept and coming up with the what you want to write about and melodies and stuff and just seeing how they lay on top of it. And the chorus of that song was actually completely different when I originally wrote it and Caesar wanted something a little different. So we came up with this other chorus that you hear now in the song and how we've, how it's translated live is different even from the record because how I'm singing that chorus flows better if they do a certain part and I do a right. certain part. A lot of this collaborating on a specific part can get completely different from start to finish. And the lyrics for this song were an idea brought to me by Fred. Fred and I are in a relationship. We've been together for over three years. And so there's some things that are sacred and some things you don't sing about. Sure, of course, of course. (laughs) So so we've made a very, we have a very good understanding about what we can and cannot bring into this band. And so- really enjoyed doing those being super creative with the writing uh-huh. and so that's why we have the book of the dead yeah um, satellite king is about a satellite that gets tired of orbiting earth and wants to shoot out into outer space and when you look at the record the voyager is actually on the record and the star yes. yeah is the voyager sound oh now i'm putting it together you're right yeah on the album cover and then the song starts off with that really cool spacey sound almost i don't know it just and and i didn't really know where it was going and then the song just the track just kicks in and i was listening to it on these headphones too to get pumped up like a half an hour before we got on this call here too yeah you got to listen to it you can't ever i always tell friends family anyone who will listen you can't ever introduce somebody to music by just handing them your phone and being like, oh, hey, here, quickly, listen to this. You got to put it on a sound system. You got to put it on headphones. Yeah, yeah actually, it's funny. We were hanging out with Dino from Fear Factory yesterday. Nice. And we're friends, been friends with him for years. And we're sitting there and he's asking about our band. And I said, do you know we're friends, right? He was like, yeah. I said, so why haven't you listened to our record? <laughs> yeah, I'm on the spot. So he got his phone out and he was listening to Into Infinity. And he's like, all right, yeah. Nice. Listen to it in your car. Yeah, please. Yeah, exactly. I'd like almost jump over and stop. No, you can't. Friends all the time will pull out their phone and just quickly listen. I'm like, hold on, stop. Let me go get my speaker. If you have to do it on Bluetooth, let me go get my speaker. And I guess that's the majority of the way people listen now. Two of our friends that are in the music business in the car with us yesterday, we were driving in the rainbow and we listened to the record and they're like, it was the first time they've actually listened to it. Your friends don't listen to your records. I don't know if you know this, but your friends don't listen. No, I'm with you. My friends never listen to my podcast. They're always like, how is that going? And it's all, it's always the people who aren't mine. Yeah, totally. Yeah. There's friends and, and family and there's fans. <laughs> family will listen to whatever you send them. 
Friends typically won't listen until they have to, but fans will listen. And until you get over that, you're going to be so butthurt. (laughs) That's a great point, Holly. That's a great point. A friend of mine told me that at the very beginning, don't, this isn't a knock on your friends, Greg, but don't necessarily count on your friends to like pick you up the whole way and be there at every single show. And that's a good start, right? It's like when you first drop that album, or whatever you first release it and you've got the CD or in a lot of cases, some people still put on vinyl, you're handing it out, but you're hoping that spreads, but you're absolutely right. Your friends know you as Holly. Your friends know me as Greg and they're, they're not necessarily seeing you in that other light. You're right. That's yeah. a good, that's a good. Like we're around a lot of musicians. We live in LA. We're in the music scene. We do all the big jams and there's this one girl. She's very quiet. She doesn't really get invited to the jams very often, but I see her around and I finally, I listen to her music finally and her music is awesome. Like of all my friends, she's probably got the best music. But you would never know because a friend you've been passing. He's not necessarily pushing it on you. Yeah. 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 I listen to her music and I have it stuck in my head for three days. (laughs) (laughs) This was how I felt about the Book of the Dead when I heard that song. It was stuck in my head for three days. I I love it. It's just a it's a solid track. Just the, the way it changes direction several times, the way it changes rhythm and and the time changes holly like i've always been a believer that is what makes a great song screw this like cliche beat standard verse chorus stuff i really think book of the dead is unique in so many ways don't mind walk me through how you guys write a song like this yeah so that was the second song that we wrote on the record and i think they were going for a deep purple kind of old 70s vibe in there we still were very much into that kind of stoner rock feel at the time so it was like the, the different parts are in that like stoner rock can have those big dynamics in there and it still makes the song really great yeah Keeps you on your toes. You're not like your musicians, I think, can, I get this way sometimes. I'm like, oh, I know where this is going. Oh, this is, and I hate that I think that, but whenever I'm shocked and something completely takes another direction and then I have trouble tapping to it or stomping my foot, I'm like, okay, I'm in. I love this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Fred's a metal drummer. I could say he's an all around drummer. That explains it. He grew up in Peru and his first gigs were this like Spanish type 
music and then he's doing hard rock and he's doing all these genres and stuff and and now he's doing hard rock with bullet boys he's doing metal so he's bringing all of these different elements into this drumming and drum is the backbone of the band so all of these things coming from bass are from the drums and all these right. riffs marrying the drums and all this stuff totally. so it's we wanted this song to be quite epic and when i first heard it i felt very i didn't even know what i was going to write on top of it i was just i was lost because it was such an epic riff these riffs were just like so in your face right. and so i i asked fred what do you want this song to be about you know like what you have a, an idea for a subject matter and he without hesitation he said write about the book of the dead because we've been we were watching a lot of like ancient aliens and nice. stuff about the dead and egypt and all this stuff and we're like okay so i was familiar enough with it but i went to google and started reading more about it making sure i had all the facts right and stuff and i wrote the majority of that song in 30 minutes nice just, i knew that i wanted this very powerful like black sabbathy vocals to come out and that's where you go for the pyramid in the sky it was make-believe kind of thing like this because we're talking about the egyptian book of the dead and the egyptian book of the dead if you listen to the lyrics it's basically making fun of the book of the dead because it's how are you going to tell everybody only the rich get to the other side you got to save your whole life to send one person to the afterlife i think it's just silly so the whole song is basically this book is crazy right? and then we go into cyrus and um, ameth and weighing your heart and the beast and stuff so it's like a whole we wanted to bring that out in the video too this whole like just story of what used to happen it's history yeah um, so when we wrote the when we wrote the song it was a lot about just keeping that stoner rock vibe alive and with these epic vocals and a story a story of, of something that is in our history and it's human history and so i feel like that song i feel personally is like our cashmere to zeppelin zeppelin they yeah. said that their song that really highlights everyone in that band. Yep. I feel like the Book, of the, the Book of the Dead really highlights everyone in our band. That makes perfect sense. It certainly resonated with me for sure. I'll, I'll tell you a really funny story. You'll really love this about the Book of the Dead. You've watched the video, right? Okay. So the video, if you see the shots of Fred and I, they were shot in a rock quarry. Oh, wow. And we had to break into this rock quarry. Nice. Love it. We were going to this place up. I don't know where it's near. It's like the hills of like up, not in Hollywood, but past LA mm -hmm. and up in the mountains by Big Bear or whatever it's called. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so we're driving up and we go, there's this dirt bike thing and we go in there and we ask them if we can shoot because it has sand or whatever. And they're like, no, you can't shoot over here. We, we won't allow it. And so we look across the, the, the way and there's these big mounds of dirt like pyramids and or rocks. And we're like, maybe we can go over there. So we go over there and we, I knock on all of the doors of the trailer. I'm screaming, hello, hello trying to find someone. <laughs> Nobody's there, but it's open. So you're so like, gorilla style it. <laughs> we go in there and we set up Fred's drums in one part of the quarry, my bass rig in the other one. We've got a drone, we have one camera guy with us. And so we shoot all of the stuff and we get back in the car and we take off. <laughs> and then, uh, how long did it take? Do you remember? Like how long did the whole hours. thing? I mean, a couple the hours? Yeah. Maybe from five to seven. Okay. 
yeah, five to seven, so like a couple hours. Yeah. With, like we spent an hour on Fred and an hour on me and then we're done. Yeah. That's a great story. <laughs> that really adds to the video as well. Like yeah. now I'm going to go back and watch it even more because of that. Yeah. That's awesome. 69 Stingray. That's a great story. I don't know if you have as cool of a story about that, about this one, but that um, this was another song that I wanted to bring up, but tell me about what was the impetus of this track? What, what brought you to write this song? When I first heard the music for the song, because most of the time Fred and Caesar were working on the music and yep. I, was, I would get it. And I, I like it that way because then I have fresh ears as yeah. well. And I can really put forth what I want with the melodies, right? Sure. Um, so when I heard it, the first thing that went through my head was Born to be Wild. Nice. <laughs> and I told them, I said, can we remake Born to be Wild? And people we, we were working with were like, no, maybe not on this first record, put a, put a, a cover. And I really wanted to, because I feel like you should always put a cover on your record. People gravitate towards that. You're not going to totally. make any money, but, but it's going to be a good selling point for you. Totally. Record. Yeah, people, I agree. People just really love covers. So I started sharing my version of this with them. And everybody really liked it. But then they were like, maybe not. So then I thought, I'm still going to write about a car. And I'm going to write about my favorite car, which is 69 Stingray. Nice. But nowhere in the song does it say 69 Stingray. Right. So when I present this song on stage, I always ask people what their favorite car is, because this song is about your favorite car. Ah, okay. Oh, I like my that. Moto, my nice. motto is all right is the, is the chorus. So it's just a, talking about a car or whatever your motto is, whatever your motor get your motor running right yeah <laughs> so for me it's 69 stingray because that's my favorite car it's been my favorite car since i was a kid It's about anybody's favorite car. And we're going to do a music video on this one. It's going to be really funny, too. You're going to get a 69 Stingray for it? We're going to get a, a Stingray, but we're going to do, like, a, it's just my fantasy that I'm actually in, in, that I'm really actually driving, like, a little moto scooter. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. It's going to be fun. 
now you mentioned that you play a jazz bass. Tell me more about your rig. I, I want to geek out on your bass rig for a, a minute. What's your, what does the rest of your rig look like? I have a couple of different rigs or feeder rigs. My first rig in Zepparella is all Fender. It's, I have the brand new, the Neo speakers, the 8x10 cab. And then I have the hybrid head, which is like 15 pounds. Nice. Fender finally listened to bass players. So I didn't realize that these refrigerators <laughs> pull up flights of stairs that are just. <laughs> yeah. Finally, these full stacks that are only 70 pounds and these heads that are 15, but they they do the job. So I play in, in, in Zepparella. And then for my local shows here, I have, I have a full stack of Eden 810s. I had a hard key amp and it blew up. So I'm gonna have to buy a new amp. <laughs> but uh, Typically that's what I would use most of my career was the hard key. I usually use a half stack, but for this music, we use full stacks. Cool. But for right now, what I'm using is, I just got this guy, this Tech 21. It's a sans amp and it's the, with uh, three presets on it. Okay. And so this can go straight to a PA. Okay, cool. Oh man, that's so easy. All of your, your regular tones and stuff. With my bass tone from my actual bass, it sounds great but then I can adjust whatever I want. So I have two presets for Dead Groove and one for Zepparella on this one, and then my tuner. So for this next, for this tour coming up this weekend, we're going to be in Utah and Arizona. And so I'm just running through this, through the PA. Yeah, so easy enough. Products. Yeah, it's easy enough. When you're having to pay for a tour yourself, it gets really expensive. And totally. You know, we don't have, the transportation we have is an SUV. Yeah. Uh, if we have to buy it, if we have to, rent something it's just extra money sure um, yeah, we're, we're hiring a guitar player for this tour so it's still very very hard for us at this point sure yeah <laughs> we're doing it yeah right? nice it certainly comes out in the sound for sure i haven't seen you guys live i was telling clem you guys got to get to boston at some point because i would be there in a heartbeat but just from seeing some of your stuff on youtube and whatnot and even hearing your album too so now back to the album for a second you mentioned maverick earlier and i think you said that was the was that the first song that you wrote for the album did i get that right yeah okay so songs like maverick it, it, just like 69 stingray in a sense it's deep it's heavy with a solid bass line the the drums many times take the lead with fred's fills i love fred's fills on the album's Every time I show the record to a musician, the first thing they say is, wow, that's a great drummer. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I have to say that over and over again. Never know where that's where 
Caesar's guitar is aggressive, but like I was saying, it has a blues undertone. And when you add your vocals on top, Holly, I think it just adds to the enticing sound and tells the listener that this stuff is going to be a punch you in the face, but then the vocals are really legit. I've heard a lot of, I think personally, artists that have similar kind of style or approach to the music, but then the vocals for whatever reason just don't grab me or they come up a little short. So that's where you add that extra. So I think you could even go across different genres as well, or even grab fans of people who might not necessarily be looking for hard rock music because they just want to hear something that they can. I know for my wife, she's, I don't care what genre it is. I just want to be able to move. I want to yeah. move when I hear it. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, I just dance, you know? Like yeah. Something- I got to ask you about the song, The Devil, which I love the title, by the way. And this is a riff for the ages. Rock and roll, hard rock are all about the riffs. Who came up with the riff for this song? definitely Caesar. Yeah. Okay, cool. And yeah, Um, we wanted something super bluesy. Yeah. Love it. It is. Yeah, that riff is gorgeous. (laughs) (laughs) I picture a scenario where I'm in a, I'm in a club. Maybe I am. I haven't heard of you guys yet. I'm this random guy and I'm just there to socialize. And then you guys come on stage and you open with the devil. Unless they want to come with me, I'm ditching the group of people that I'm with and I'm moving closer <laughs> to the stage and I'm watching everything you guys do. The, the riff just throughout this track just makes me move. Did you guys strategically place the song in your set list? Do, do you place it like strategically at the beginning or the middle or the end? Or do you not think about it and just pull it out whenever you feel like it? The devil's at the end. Okay, cool. It's almost the... What? Oh, on the record, yeah, it's number four, but when we would do it, we've been doing it live, we've been putting it later. That's mainly because we have two different tunings for all of the songs. We have standard and we have drop D. Mm-hmm. And when I did the, this last tour, I did the set list and I did a couple E's and then all the D's in the middle. And then 
D's at the end. No, I'm sorry. E's in the middle. D's at either okay. end. Okay. Interesting. It happened, to be, it happened huh. to be put that way towards the end, and it's on the record. It's number four. But at the end is when we do it in our set. And I think it works really well at the end of the set, too. Do you guys think about that a lot? Like the placement of a certain song in a show? Sometimes it can, it's really cool and it works, but other times I think maybe it can get just exhausting. Yeah, you don't want really, to try to get too perfect. It's really important where you place songs. Yeah. Songs. Um, okay. And it's important for each member. Um, and that a lot in like Zepparella, for instance, with the Zeppelin songs, because some of them are short, some of them are long, some of them are more intense for one instrument than the other. And our songs are like that too. We don't have any super long drawn out. They're mostly about four minutes long. Yeah. Um, but but for the most part, like the tuning makes a big difference. My vocals, I, I'm my vocals are pretty good. Because I started singing later in life, I don't feel like I have as much vocal fry or whatever. <laughs> I love that term. I feel like my vocals are going to be around for a while, mm-hmm. which is good. And they feel very strong still. And actually, before we were getting ready for this tour, I was singing our set for like several times every single day. And I didn't have an issue. I feel like my vocals Knock on wood. Yeah. And they recover well, which is good. But, but yeah, if you're looking at songs that are super hard to perform, like 69 Stingray and Play Your Hand are both kind of hard because they're just very, like the vocals and the playing is just very fast. Yeah. So I like to separate those, not just for ton- tonalities because they're similar songs, but also for the fact that I don't want to perform one right after the other. Sure. That makes perfect sense. Let me remind everybody, you guys are a trio. So I'm a big fan of trios, which is another thing that attracted me to your guys' band. I'm a big fan of Rush, a big fan of Police. Again, King's X, so I love the fact that you mentioned them as well. Now that I think about it, you guys, we were talking about it earlier, you guys definitely have a somewhat of a King's X influence, just that heaviness, that bass. You also mentioned Doug, obviously, is, was a big influence on bass, and John Paul. I and, got to uh, give him the CD the other day. I did you really? Nice. Nice. Because actually, it's crazy, that story with me and Doug Pinnock, like, he's been my idol since before I played bass. And mm-hmm. then, of course, when I started playing bass, I'm like, oh, yeah, Doug, you know. And then I wanted to be, like, a front, fronting my own band. With my first band, I my first show, my very first show, I opened for King's X. And he complimented me on my voice and we hung out for a little bit after the show. And anyways, later on, actually not too long ago, this actually just happened a few months ago. I've seen him over the years, a couple of times. We finally, he now finally, when I see him, he knows who I am, you know, I finally had the conversation with him about when I opened for him at my first show or whatever. And he's, oh my God, it's you. He remembered (laughs) me because of my voice. And he's, yes, That's I, awesome. love I love that, that what you were doing that. I remember really liking your music. So I have a new record with Fred and whatever. And so I gave him the record. And so he, he was like, oh, I can't wait to listen to it. And I said, the first song is Satellite King. Yep. You put King in there. There's a lot of riffs that, that sound a lot like King's. I would love to be able to go on tour with, with Doug, I mean, with King's X. And it would just be. Someday soon. Someday oh, soon for sure. In addition to your vocals and your bass playing, I know for me being a bass player now for 34 years, I think, if I'm doing the math right, I didn't necessarily, when I was on stage, like to steal the show per se, but I always wanted people listening to us to know the bass player isn't just some guy who's satisfied with being in the background. I wanted people to really hear the bass, and that's why uh, I tend to play it fairly aggressively, but also I really 
from an early age, really fell in love with the the Fender. And for me, it, to start, it was the Precision. But now that I have a, a jazz, I can't get away from that. Do you ever feel like that or at all? Or I don't, I don't necessarily mean like you want to, you know, steal the show per se, but do you do you secretly turn your bass up a little bit so that more people can hear you as opposed to being in the background? <laughs> no, it's a dynamic thing. You have to play for the show. You have to play for the band. Sure. Um, I was definitely in my first band and my second band, I guess I, I was more on the performing side. I was definitely trying to play the parts, but it was more about trying to perform because I also feel like bass players as a bass player, if you want to make it as a bass player, you really have to stand out. You have yeah. to have something very special about you because a lot of people can just sit there and play the bass and be in the background. Totally. You know, guitar players can do that too, but totally really stand out guitar players are the ones performing. So there's a big dynamic in there that you have to do for the show. Yeah. Um, and Zeparel is a lot different than Dead Groove. Dead Groove, I have a microphone. And for sure. Go and rock out for a second, but I'm with the microphone. Yeah. And that's why we want a guitar player that can perform and that can like entertain the crowd. Fred's on the kit and I'm on the microphone and bass. Yeah. Um, but you also don't want it to look ridiculous. Of course. <laughs> and so with bass playing, you don't, it's not that you have to turn up, you just have to play your parts to where that they differentiate and carry the song. Mm -hmm. Look at John Paul Jones. He was never in the front. No, but you can, I feel like you can always, just the first time I heard Zeppelin, I, I feel like every instrument was present. Whereas, and I hate to say this, I love ACDC, but when I hear ACDC, I don't always hear the bass first, even though it's there and it's bringing the song well, alive. It's keeping it. That's also because they have a rhythm guitar player. That's a good point. You have a band yeah. that has a rhythm guitar player and a bass player. It's very hard to differentiate those yeah. two. That's a good point. Uh, with Zeppelin, you have a session player who is like one of the best session players in England, learning from one of the best session players here, James Jamerson. He comes from that school of thought as I've got to cut through. I've got to basically create my own melody. It's all um, counterpoint, right? Exactly. Yeah. To marry everything that's going on. The, and the one thing that I always explain when I'm explaining John Paul Jones is He's marrying all of the instruments together. He's exactly. The drums, the guitars and the vocals. 100%. Is emulating all these different things. But then there's this underlying groove that he creates with John Bonham. And that's what really carries the song. So you don't even realize. Because you don't even realize it. Yeah. Unless you're a bass player, I think. But no, you're absolutely right. He's always been one of my biggest influences. And it's just cool to hear that he's one of yours too. And Based on that, that tone, that jazz tone comes from stand-up. I, yeah. I have flat wounds on my bases and I don't change them. Yeah, cool. It comes from that old school way of thinking of the stand-up bass. Yeah. Oh, man. I didn't think about it that way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bad Friend is another track that I wanted to call out. T tell me about this song, Holly. So same structure in terms of Fred and Caesar wrote the, the music and then you came and helped with the lyrics or did all the lyrics or... How yeah, did yeah. yeah, I did all the lyrics and melodies on that one. So basically, I, I was hearing the song after Fred and him and, and Caesar like arranged everything, and it was a really like hard hitting song. Yeah, had a lot of space in it too.
and that was our kind of ACDC song. Mm. Very much. That's how I felt when I heard the song, very ACDC. And so I'm like, okay, this is going to be a call and response, obviously, vocals in the riff. And I didn't know what I wanted the song to be about. I, I have, I had a list of stuff. We'd gone over different song topics between Fred and I that were appropriate and that we liked and that we wanted to expand on. And I hadn't really gone over, I, I, nothing really fit with this song. I'm like, I, I don't know what I want to do, but I kept hearing this, the word bad. Like I'm a true songwriter. If I hear a beat, I can make a song, a, a riff. I can put a melody on top of it. So I kept hearing bad the word bad and i don't know why but like bad something and i'm like what is this and so without going into too much detail um but i will tell you that um it sparked an interest with one of clem's stories that she was telling me about a friend of hers that was trying to get a hold of her after many years that she didn't want to get a hold of because she was a bad friend and I'm like, that's it. That's <laughs> it. So I used a little bit Love of her it. story with this person. Like I said, I'm not going to get into who that was, but this whole kind of story based off of this person. That I don't even know the person, but I know the story. Right. And this bad friend, like bad friend. And everybody can identify with a bad person in their life. And totally. So like, I don't even want to deal with that person anymore because I know it's just going to be a train wreck. Yeah, absolutely. The lyrics, the lyrics all come from that, like having a relationship with a, a, like a friendship with somebody that just is not going to go anywhere. You've already learned your lessons from them. You move on. You don't need anything from them. So yeah. I've always had the challenge sometimes with you know, just to use the term bad friend again, like older friends that I've known for a long time and maybe today they're not as good of a friend anymore. Maybe they don't check in. And I sometimes will have trouble distancing myself from them because I remember the good times and where a lot of people will say, yeah, but those were the old days, Greg, that look at, you got to look at what's the relationship like today. So that's a good that's a good point. Sometimes I, I battle with that because I'm like, oh, maybe I can rekindle this relationship or maybe I can bring this back again. But you, you can only try so hard after a while. And if somebody's not being positive or they're not giving you good advice or you want somebody to be honest, right? I'm just, I'm, I'm geeking out a little bit on this, like a, the term bad friend, because I think about this a lot too. I'm grateful that I have a lot of good friends in my life. But yeah, this the, listening to these lyrics just really made me think more about what was Holly referring to her. What exactly was she talking about when she wrote this? I'm not actually talking about anyone specific. Right. It's not even yours, but you took the inspiration and made it your own, which is really cool. But I can say that this song is about certain people I know for sure. Sure. I definitely have those feelings for certain people that I've known in my past, but but yeah, there is no actual bad friend that I'm talking to. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's good to know. Your friends can rest easy now. I'm, we're getting closer to the ending. know. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting closer to the end here, but getting ready to wrap up a little bit. I had a couple deeper questions for you. And I wanted to ask as a musician, Holly, what are some of the hardest things you've had to, or what's been the hardest thing or one of the hardest things you've had to deal with as a musician? Anything. I'm just interested to hear. Um, as a musician, I guess finding that balance of, because like when you become a musician and you are in the music community at first, you're not making any money unless you're doing covers or tributes. Right, um, right. Typically you're not doing covers or tributes if you're just starting out. And one of the you know, main things I've, I've really had to, to learn is just believe in yourself. 
don't worry about what other people think. Because when I first started, there's a lot of people that didn't think I was great. I didn't think I was great either, but I never let it get to me. And so I really had to learn how to just shut my mouth and just keep going. Only what, what your trajectory is, only what your goal is. Yeah. And so the biggest thing that I've had to overcome is also like, I was a hairdresser for 20 years. I was making right. really good money. I moved out here just to do music. So I stopped doing hair. So the adjustment just financially has been a big adjustment. Sure. But it is what it is when you have a passion for something you really want to do it and you believe in yourself. Yeah. Just go for it. Yeah. Just go um, for it. There's been a learning curve being a female musician too. When I lived in Dallas and I was a musician there, I was one of the only female musicians in Dallas. Really? Now there's a lot, but I, I was, I started playing when Anita Strauss was in Iron Maidens. Wow. You know what I mean? Like she didn't have a name for herself when I was also a musician. You know, yeah. out. So there's a lot of, there's a lot that can change. And as a female musician, I definitely wasn't taken as seriously, I felt, as male musicians or part of the bro club or whatever. So there's some growing pains there. But I think it all comes down to the fact that this is just what I wanted to do and I wasn't going to take no for an answer. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's, I have the utmost respect for that. Did you ever hit a low point where you had a night where you were like, or a morning where you were like, I don't know if I can do this anymore? I don't think so. Maybe in a certain band or something, I was like, I'm just ready to move on. But I was always yeah. looking for an opportunity to play with whoever I could, whenever I could. Yeah. And there were months that would go by that I wasn't in a band and I was just at home trying to make music or do stuff on my own or going out to open mics or whatever. But then you get a phone call and you're in a band again and you've got to learn all this material and you got to go on tour and whatever. And that really sparks. Exciting. Up. Yeah. And then once that band like starts going downhill. It's um, like with any job, right? You have that kind of honeymoon phase and then you get, you hit up here and then, and then it's. And the problem about these jobs though, with musicians is you have two different types. You have a band that's self-sufficient and can make money. Usually they're cover bands. Right. Um, and then you have the other, the original bands where you have to put in all the effort and all the money to make it work. Right. Um, right. You have to keep the relationship solid in your band because those are the people that you rely on the most for this music and this band. So there's a lot of dynamics and it's just a whole new industry. And so I would say that anybody looking to get into this industry, just look at it like that. It's a whole industry. It's a whole thing. You can't just pick up a guitar, play a few songs and think that you're going to make it. Right. Like, especially now with the way digital distribution is and totally uh, like right now yeah nobody's making money you can't just put up a song and, and and make money anymore you used to be able to do that if you're a credible band you put up a song and every every one of your fans would would buy it now everybody expects it for free right gigantic companies like huge Spotify. expectation yeah. Yeah. yeah and now you see netflix going through the same thing with all the actors protesting because they're really they're not helping us at all no they definitely not are. oh yeah you, you get access to all these fans and it's yeah but like how are we going to go on tour if we don't make any money up front it's yeah I was, I was interested in to hear your opinion about that and you already answered I, I talked to clem about this and i've really asked this question of every musician that i've interviewed which is what do you think about the industry today compared to say 
20 years ago. And I think that there's pros and cons, right? Like someone like myself, I can, I can put music out there. I can write a song and record it here in my studio. And then an hour later, it's on Spotify. Now that's great, right? Because more people can hear, can find out about me. How does that, if I want to build off of that, how do I do that? I've got to get out and tour. I've got to hustle and you got to hustle like you can't believe. Yeah. Today, if you want to put a song out, you have to do all the pre-production, post-production. Then once it's out there, you have to market it. You have to get a PR person to push it. You got to put it on through certain avenues to to chart or to try to chart. Then you have to tour. It's a whole thing. And what about radio? Because radio doesn't really, it was radio and MTV for so long. And that was really where it was. And word of mouth, I'd be at a party or I'd be in the parking lot at my junior high school or my high school. And someone would say, hey, you got to hear this album. Okay, great. When are we going back to your house? Or can we go in your car? Or I don't know, let's go. It comes out tomorrow morning. Let's I'll pick you up at 10 o'clock and we'll go to the record store and we'll get it. Yeah. That kind of excitement, Holly, like I I miss that. I miss yeah. that so much. And a lot of my friends say, quit living in the past. Yeah. 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 I still drive down the the road where it's not far from my house where I live now, with a mile, this I can't talk, this strip, like a mile strip down down the street for me. There were six record stores within a mile yeah. and, and now there's zero. Nobody goes to them anymore. But I still think about that when I drive down that road, like the excitement I had being 12 or 13 and being like, oh man, maybe that happens a little bit more in LA. Like you got stores like Amoeba, which I think are yeah. like when I first walked into Amoeba, I was yeah. like, I'm never leaving here. But, yeah. but I guess. You have a lot of musicians that live in LA, right? So that's easy for them to go and promote their albums like that. Sure. And so I think still the music scene here is, is still pretty good because this is where a lot of it came from, right? Yeah. The 80s. Um, you can't really, it, it, now if you go say, I wanted to go back to Dallas and do a signing, I might get some people there because I know people from Dallas and people who were fans back then and see my success are going to be big time fans now, right? Yeah. It might, it might work, but it might not. <laughs> you have a big risk now because people People like to get out and do stuff, but sometimes they just don't know about it because there's so many other things to do. Exactly. And, it's diluted. And, and we can't rely on social media anymore because no. I don't know about you, but if I post something on social media, if I'm not paying to advertise it, nobody sees it. No one sees it. Maybe your friends do, right? Who follow you and that's about it. So that they don't either. Right. Now it's you have to pay. If you have a certain amount of people following you, you have to pay to get a, a bigger amount of them to, to see it. It's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. It's really working against us because we're pushing this social media constantly. Every day we're posting something to get more followers, to get more people interested in our music because it's a business basically. But we post something the next day, those followers might not see it because we've paid before. So now Instagram wants us to pay for those followers to see it. So we're really getting- Post. Big time. Yeah. And I always wonder, like, how do you translate? I don't really do this very much, but I I have a lot of friends and family who just sit on social media and they'll just scroll. But when something says, hey, go here, check this out, they normally don't. They'll just go to the next. They'll just scroll to the next. Like, I've become fascinated with, for any business, how do you translate social media to somebody actually listening to your music or going to your website? Maybe it starts with 
putting your music on that post and then they quickly hear it. I know for me, like I'll hear something real quick and I'll go, Ooh, and then I'll get off social media and I'll go to either YouTube or Spotify or something like that. Yeah. That's basically like bait and hook. Basically you're, you're trying to lure people into your music by giving your music. Yeah. And we give a little 30 seconds of our music out to people in an advertisement and they're like, Ooh, I like that sound. I want to hear more. So they go, to our website or to anywhere and, and listen to the record and they become a fan. And that's, that's typical and this is how it works. Um, yeah. The amount of times, the amount of money you have to spend to get that fan to follow that yeah, lead. It doesn't always translate, far. right? <laughs> yeah. I guess the answer is touring, just playing and playing as much as yeah, you can. We, and We sell the most amount of merch and, and stuff, not from our clothing company. It's, it's from touring. Yeah. yeah, CDs, vinyl, all of that is, is from touring. I'd like to talk about all 10 songs now, but I also want the listeners to go out and, and get a copy. Obviously, we as we were just talking, there's so many ways you can hear music now on these different platforms. Do you guys, and I'm sorry if you mentioned this at the beginning already, do you guys distribute the album at all on vinyl or CD? Yeah, we have it on CD. And nice. uh, we just ended our pre-sale for vinyl. We should be getting them in any day now. Uh, we have 200 vinyl that we did, so they're limited edition. Oh, man. Fantastic. Gold vinyl. So it's going to be really cool. And Fred works for Cleopatra Records. Uh-huh. He actually, I think he's already done over 100 album covers for them. The cool thing is we have him. So he's redone the CD in an app of a vinyl version. So they're not completely different, but they're different. So it's really nice to have him so close to be able to do all that stuff. And is it safe to say the best place people can go get this is deadgrooveband.com, www.deadgrooveband.com? It will just take you to the clothing store, which is deadgrooveclothing.com, but you can go on the website and the the links are there. Okay. All right. Awesome. And you can also see Holly on tour with Zepparella at zepparella.com, Z-E-P-A-R-E-L-A. Holly, is there anything I missed or anything you'd like to add before we wrap up? This has just been... I really appreciate you taking this time to talk with me, but is there anything else that, that you wanted to add or anything that I might've missed? Yeah, not really. We're on tour for the rest of the year, not consecutively, but we have like Utah and Arizona coming up. We have some Southern dates, some local California dates, and then we're going back to Peru at the end of the year. Caesar's not on tour with us right now. We have Jeff Young who was in Megadeth. And so he's also in Kings of Thrash with David Ellison and Fred. Big David fans. Love them. Joining us on Thursday in Arizona for, for a, a song at the end of the set. So that'll be fun. Nice. All the nice. Mega fans will be there, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but we're going to be touring with a Pantera tribute called Far Beyond Hostile. Oh, cool. Oh, very um, cool. Here in LA. So they'll be with us and we have some local bands opening and so yeah if you just check out the website for all the tour dates coming up and merch and then we'll have some new songs hopefully by next year yeah i want to stay posted and i definitely want to keep in touch with you this has been great i I really enjoyed this conversation you definitely gained an extra fan in me today and i'm pretty damn confident you'll have a lot (laughs) more (laughs) holly you guys are a true talent i'm just i'm really grateful to have the opportunity to speak with you i'm so grateful that i 
connected with Clem so many months ago, and now I've had the chance to talk with you. I wish you you guys nothing but success in your life and your music career. And I'm really inspired by the motivation that you've had to keep on going, because I think that's something that I hit a crossroads maybe 20 years ago, and I was gigging and I was broke. And I turned and went in another direction. Now I'm coming back a little bit. I'm still playing a little bit. And I've obviously been doing this podcast now for three years, but I just, I have a lot of respect for someone who just sticks with their passions. You got a lot of fans here in Boston for sure. I'd love to. Yeah. Let's keep in touch. If you're ever interested, I'd love to do an album review with you, like an album that really was a favorite of yours or something that, you know, Clem and I did All Things Must Pass, George Harrison. And we had a lot of fun talking about that. I ended up having to spend days editing it because we talked for three hours. Thanks so much. Enjoy the rest of your Labor Day. And uh, I really appreciate your time. And um, I'll, I'll reach out to you before this before this goes out and goes live. And I hope our paths will cross again soon. Yeah. Okay. Take care, Holly. Bye-bye. Thank you again to Holly West for coming on the show and telling us all what it's like to be a member of two incredibly powerful rock bands. I can't tell you guys how much I admire Holly and her band, both Zepparella and Dead Groove Band. Thank you guys for listening to the albumreview.net podcast. And although Derek Zoolander might not agree, I think you all successfully learned something and were able to fit inside the building. So if you're interested in any of the albums or the books I've discussed in this episode or previous episodes, go to albumreview.net and pick up a copy of your own. Listen to all my podcast album reviews at albumreview.net by clicking on the podcast tab. They can also be heard wherever podcasts are available. Please follow the show on your preferred platform so you can get regular updates on new episodes And also, if you guys would be so kind as to pop a quick review or rate the podcast, how many times have I said it? That helps move that thing, the needle. It moves the needle and it gets the word out there. I do want to hear from you guys, so please email me your feedback. This past week, the feedback's been a uh, a little light. Email me your feedback, email me your album review requests and any questions you might have to gpotters at albumreview.net. That's G-P-O-T-T-E-R-S at albumreview.net. 
If you'd like to get regular updates on reviews, interviews, product, and music news, go to the homepage and join the mailing list. Visit our YouTube page and stay tuned for updates on Instagram, Facebook, and that thing they call TikTok. You can find me at albumreviewnet. All right, that's it. Thanks, guys. Take a trip down by the highway 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 Take a trip down by